In the secular mindset, people often speak of New Year's resolutions. But when you think about it, there's nothing particularly special about the New Year. It's just an arbitrary point when one calendar year gives way to another. But psychologically, perhaps, it feels like a time time of transition and renewal. The days are at their shortest now in the dead of winter towards the end of December. But the days also bottom out, and in January, the days get longer as we head into spring. So the new year is that time when people start thinking about what in their lives needs to change, whether it's diet and exercise, or being more organized, or on a stricter budget, or spending more time with our families. As Christians, our New Year's Day, however, in the liturgical sense, is the first Sunday of Advent. But this is just so that we can have a longer time of preparation for Christmas, for what the new Christian year centers upon, the day that we commemorate the birth of our Savior. Unlike the secular new year that merely reflects a plus one addition to the numbers on the calendar, Christmas is the time that we reflect on how all of creation was changed by one miraculous event. Time, in the secular sense, simply marches on. One day, one month, one year at a time. One darn thing after another. But for us, as Christians, time is like a funnel. Everything gets drawn down in towards the incarnation of the Son of God. In the nativity, everything changed, because now creator and creation were one in the person of Jesus. The moment of that incarnation is the central pivot point of all of history. Yes, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension into heaven had to happen, but these events could only happen because God first assumed human flesh. Last year in January, I was in Israel with my seminary classmates, and we went into the crypt of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. Built over what was believed to be the actual stone that Mary rested upon as she delivered Jesus into the world. There's a silver star there to mark the very spot. Can we know that this was the exact place where Mary gave birth? Well, maybe not. But the very idea is fascinating to contemplate. Right here, everything changed. From the first moment of original sin, there was a rupture between God and man. Adam lost his dominion over the earth, his lordship, his power to subdue the earth effortlessly. Instead, only by the sweat of his brow could he manage to get the bread from the ground that he needed to eat. And also the work of his wife, Eve, in bearing children would now become painful. And this rupture continued throughout history, in the flood, in the slavery of Egypt, in the exodus, in the captivity. Man desperately trying to cleave to God, but slipping away because of sin. Even in the kingship of David, in our first reading, we see this rupture between God and man. King David says that he will build a house for the Lord because it is fitting that the ark of the Lord should live in a nicer place than he does. And he had a house of cedar, at that time the height of luxury. It was a noble sentiment, 
But the Lord answers, no, I didn't tell you this. And you can't know what I want unless I tell you. Because your mind is not my mind, and your ways are not my ways. You are sinful creation, and I am the perfect creator. You can't save yourself, and you can't justify yourself in my eyes. Only I can do that for you. Just as God tells David that every good thing that happened to Israel happened because of God, not because of him or because of them. And that the Messiah will be born in his line, not because of anything that King David does or can do now, but because that is the way God in his providence will make it. I think he does that in all of our lives as well. Sometimes we even want to do good. We want to serve others. We want to honor the Lord in something that we do. But God will humble us even in those plans. He will remind us, like the Babylonians who wanted to build a tower into the heavens, that we cannot work our way to God. I was visiting my family in Buffalo a couple of years ago during a seminary break, and I went to a broken-down part of the city to check out an old parish called Blessed Trinity. And it is a beautiful church on the National Register of Historic Places. It was built a little more than 100 years ago in a style that is called Lombard Romanesque. One of the characteristics of this style is that although it looks beautiful and majestic like all of those old churches did, as you get closer to the walls, you will notice that the brickwork is, very deliberately, done badly. The bricks are different sizes and shapes, and the mortar between them is actually uneven. And what it's meant to symbolize is man's very imperfection, even when he tries to glorify God, because he does it on his own terms. One could say that the interior life, our spiritual lives, come down to two questions. Lord, what are you doing in my life? And Lord, what do you want me to do? Not, here's what I'm going to do for you, Lord. What do you think? Nice, huh? We see that perfectly in the life of Mary. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Acceptance of God's will, not an attempt to get him to ratify our will. That's why Mary later could say, my soul magnifies the Lord. This doesn't mean that we give up doing anything until we get some kind of lightning bolt instruction directly from God. Remember the words of St. Augustine. Pray as though everything depended upon God. Work as though everything depended upon you. It still takes hard work to discern God's will. And sometimes the only way we can discern if something is what God wants us to do is by trying to do what we think best and seeing if it bears fruit but to always be doing so in the spirit of being open to God's will, being open to correction, being open to being humbled and realizing, no, this isn't the will of God after all, so it isn't going to be my will anymore either. As children of the church, as beneficiaries of the sacraments, we have a great grace, unlike King David even, of living in the wake of Christ's incarnation rather than in anticipation of it. We have the fullness of the revelation in Christ, 
And so we are in a better position to discern God's will because God has shown us in Christ and through Mary the broad roadmap. But there are still some turns that we will need to figure out on our way. We are not Mary, much less Christ. We are still sinners, and so we still need to acknowledge that there is that lingering rupture between, between our will and God's, and we have to keep that in mind. Yet we also know that Christ has shown us the way, that he gave us Mary as a flowering example, that he has filled our lives with the lives of the saints who have walked a path before us, and he gives us Holy Mother Church to aid us in our discernment. And so we know that each new day, each new year, each time that we receive the Eucharist, this can be a great step in holiness. Let this Christmas be the time when we we resolve to be holy. It's not only the right thing to do, it also makes a great New Year's resolution.